0: This is Agents Influence Podcast.
1: We envision a world where contractors focus on doing their best work with zero worry about insurance and we try to do this by aggregating their insurance information in one place so they don't have to keep sending tons of emails out. We aggregate this information so that agents too can see what those requirements are for their insurance and that's what we are focused on today and the product is used by mostly general contractors and home builders because that's really our brand promise which is we're focused on construction.
0: I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help
1: you think differently,
0: change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, you loyal listeners, to another episode of Agents Influence Conversations with Jason Cass, hey! I am glad you are back with me. As always, I try to uh, give you the best um, guests and bring you the best uh, stories. You know, that's what it's all really about. You know, building relationships is about stories, and I hope that I can build or bring those to you today. Um, I think I have a unique one—someone that you don't hear talk a lot about in our industry. Um, but I think you're probably—that's going to change as it gets going, and that's the reason why I wanted to bring him on here. So I've got nice. Naisha Gutza, Am I, did I say that right?
1: Correct.
0: Oh, right. See, that is unbelievable, loyal listeners. They're clearing. They're, they're clapping in the background. Um, <laughs> Naisha, welcome to Agents Influence, man. I'm glad we got you.
1: I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, yes. So if you're not watching it on YouTube and you're listening, which uh, if that's the way you would choose to, but you always need to check us out on YouTube, that viewership is starting to grow. He's got a shirt on that says Billy. And so uh, we'll get to more about what that is and how he is changing the game. But, nice, are you ready are you ready to do this?
1: I'm always ready. Ready for uh, takeoff.
0: Are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user? iPhone. You're an iPhone user, huh? What's the last app you downloaded?
1: Oh, man. Uh, I last downloaded uh, Instagram because my sister uh, had her birthday uh, a few days ago. So I wanted to wish her a happy birthday and do a post for her.
0: So you didn't have it?
1: Well, I had it, but uh, I guess like I'm one of those people that can go down a rabbit hole with uh, Instagram. So for my own uh, sanity, sometimes it's good to just uh, remove gotcha. that barrier.
0: Gotcha. Makes total sense, especially when you're trying to uh, build a corporation and uh, and connect people like you are your darn self. So that's... Uh, that's, that's good. Uh, do you love to win or do you hate to lose?
1: Nah, I, uh, I love to be able to win, but I also have learned how to lose gracefully.
0: <laughs> well said. Well said. You've learned how to lose gracefully. I love to hear about a little bit of that as we continue on. Two things in the world we believe got you to where you are today. If that's what we think here, doesn't mean the way that it is. Skill or luck? What would you say has been the biggest factor in your life, Nisha, to get you to where you are?
1: If I could uh, draw a line between the two, I think it's a little bit of uh, both. I believe in the uh, perfection of your craft. And sometimes uh, when you perfect your craft, luck also works uh, mm-hmm. in your favor.
0: So right. So right. I got you there. I feel the same exact way, man. Now, should take us, let us, this is the time where we like to relate to you a little bit. So in yeah. about, you know, two, three, four minutes, take us back to, you know, where you were born. Bring us forward to to where you and how you got sitting right there in that WeWork booth you're in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so where to start? I, I was born in a country called uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, so... Uh, This is a little country that's landlocked on top of South Africa. Uh, It's bordered with uh, Mozambique and also Botswana to the south, South Africa. And then to the west, there is a country called Namibia, which is known for surfing and it's great desert. And then to the north, we also have Zambia. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So uh, I'm one of four children, uh, the only son. And I am one of those stories that should have never uh, happened. So I uh, went to boarding school when I was uh, three years old because my parents uh, worked, uh, you know, in in a retail bank. Mm -hmm. So like when you go to a local branch, my my mom was a teller. She used to be a nurse before, but she left for health reasons because the country had a massive tuberculosis outbreak. And so the fear was that it would spread to the, the children okay and so she moved into retail banking which is uh where you know my dad also worked and uh we lived in what we would call the middle uh of the country which is mostly farm uh type economy so zimbabwe at that time was known as the breadbasket of africa and so uh really rich soils uh that could you know produce a lot of uh, agriculture so the economy was really based around, uh, you know, agriculture and uh, mining, and that's kind of like what I grew uh, up around. Okay. In you know towns like that, uh, I got a chance to uh, learn, you know, uh, English pretty early on, which I think is part of the skill that I do have. And then I went to an all boys high school, uh, skipped a couple of grades uh, there, so I graduated college when I was sixteen. I mean, uh, high school when I was 16 and uh, got a chance to uh, migrate to the United States. And that was, uh, uh, you know, the story of the letter that changed my life, because at that time I was struggling with English and uh, there was uh, an announcement which was like, hey, does somebody want uh, to, you know, like uh, correspond with a kid from, you know, school called Horace Mann in New York. And I thought it was a great idea because everybody laughed at it. Uh, and that in there is how I ended up in the U S wow. so <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, this, uh, uh, guy, his name was, uh, Michael Fisher. He, he passed away, but he, we became pen pals and one day, uh, he, uh, uh, called m- my parents' house and was like, oh yeah, like we would love for you to come to the U S and I didn't have a passport. Uh, had never really left the country other than to go to South Africa. That's, that was my sphere of the world. Uh, and, uh, they were like, Oh yeah, like we'll, uh, fly you uh, out here too. And cause that was my parents' question. it was like, how do you get to the U S? So, so was he going to, uh, was he
0: going to take you and your parents or just you?
1: Just me. So, oh, okay. Okay. All right. So that was my first contact with the West. Uh, <laughs> and I was, uh, 12 turning 13 uh, at that time. And my parents are just like, we've never met you. Uh, There's no video, like we we're talking at this right. time, uh-huh. you know, and it's just like, they've just exchanged letters and we're taking this giant leap for, wow. you know, our only son to, you know, get on a plane and then, you know, uh, come all the way to the U S so. wow, Yeah. Uh, so that's how I ended up first uh, coming to the US. And um, my first time coming to the US, it's like, I wanna stay, but I couldn't. So over the years, they would fly me back and forth for uh, you know summer breaks, but Michael passed away when we were 14. Uh, and uh, I stayed in touch with his family. And when I finished uh, high school, I didn't really have uh, many options to go to uh, college. Uh, my parents could only afford for me to go to the local university there, but the country was starting to face its own economic challenges. Uh, so we were under sanctions from the West. Uh, so, you know, things like, uh, basic commodities or food like you couldn't really get. So we, uh, uh, I took the leap and moved to, uh, New York and, uh, went to school at Fordham University. And so that's my story of, uh, how I was born and migrated to the U.S.
0: So, what did you do? Let's 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 talk about this real quick because then I want to know from you know once you once you got from you know high school, what would you say Fordham University? Yeah,
1: Fordham you University. Got done with,
0: you got done with there and you went forward, but like okay, so you're so you're doing pen paling with this with Michael, right? And uh, how long did that go on for?
1: Yeah, so uh, we were in pen pals for three years before he passed away. And in those times it came every summer for about two weeks because we were born uh, seven days apart. So we would just uh, do one birthday, you know, at their beach house in Point Pleasant. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, when it came to the US, uh, it was mostly to, you know, stay with his uh, family, which uh, is uh, in construction and real estate here in New York. So uh, that's how I got into uh, uh, construction, working for their family business. And I started off uh, as a mailroom clerk, and this was uh, back when construction drawings used to weigh eighty pounds. Like you pr- print them out, or they come from a typographics uh, type of place, and they're put in these little cubicles in the you know mailroom, mm-hmm. and somebody would come and say like, "Oh, I'm here to bid on you know the." the Yankee stadium, which is an actual project that I saw, you know, the demol- demolition, the actual construction of the new one. Uh, and somebody would, uh, grab the drawing, I'd put it on my shoulder and then, uh, give it to them. And then they would measure things on the drawing and then give you an envelope, which was the big, you know, and, uh, now all that's uh, digitized. So, right. so I went from working for a construction company to then going to digitize those things that I used to do. Uh, in a construction company at a company called uh, Procore in uh, Santa Barbara. So I was one of the early employees there. And that was my transition from, you know, working in a construction office uh, Mm -hmm. to, you know, a software uh, person.
0: So, so let me, so, uh, so before we go there, so when you, when, so what were you, what did you and Michael pin pal about? I mean, how old is Michael? He's passed, as you said, but was he an older gentleman at the time?
1: no uh we were uh uh we were two years uh apart so he was two years younger than i was uh oh really okay right and so uh you know at at that age if you live in uh two completely different spheres right like you're curious about well Mm -hmm. how are things you know in the uh west like i'm a kid who grew up watching the a team uh right Uh, And I always joke with people that there is a TV show called Santa Barbara. uh, And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I actually ended up in Santa Barbara. So it's like, wow, I remember I remember that show. And partly it's because, you know, TV rights for these older shows are cheaper for, you know, um, Mm. where I came from. So those were things that I was like, that's how my image of America was like shaped of like, uh, like through watching TV or you know, uh, wrestling, right. Like Hulk Hogan. Uh, so it was just mostly like, uh, those kinds of interactions of like, uh, getting to know each other, yeah. curiosity about, you know, each other's worlds as well.
0: Yeah. So you said he passed. What, 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 what was it something that happened? I mean,
1: yeah, he, uh, he wasn't feeling, uh, well, and then, uh, it's just like unfortunate that like he, uh, passed away from, you know, a condition that he had.
0: Okay. Wow. Sorry about that. Cause it sounds like three years and then you going back and forth from your, from your uh, country to, to here. And, uh, wow. Fantastic. What an experience. And I mean, as you said, it's, it so started with, with the teacher at school saying, Hey, does someone want to, you know, pen pal or whatever. And isn't it funny how everybody else laughs and says, no, they don't want to, but it's people like yourself that, that speak up, right? You've thought about this before yourself many times. As wow, I'm so glad I wasn't one of those people who was laughing or giggling or found it silly. You actually said, "Hey, I think I'll take some interest in that." And let's be honest, it's changed your life.
1: A hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think uh, the analogy to that is uh, sometimes uh, the things that you know seem laughable might be the biggest opportunities. Uh, ever. So ever since it's just been, you know, my realm, or if you ask my friends, like how they would describe me, they would say, he does the craziest things. But uh, in the end, everybody turns out to be like, well, like, uh, that was actually like a really good idea. But sometimes That's right. it's, it's terrible too, which is how I've learned, you know, to lose uh, gracefully. But uh, I think the biggest thing that stuck to me, you know, throughout that experience, and, you know, things that, I've uh, gone through in life is, uh, so long as you show up and you do your best, you know, even if you lose, like, you know, that like you, you did your best and you still won. Mm -hmm. the worst thing Mm -hmm. is, you know, getting what you want, but you didn't really like do your best, you know, like, right. So that's always been my philosophy of just like, uh, so long as I know I did really well and did the best I can, uh, losing gracefully is usually like, you know, a mark of uh, character.
0: And you never know what's going to happen, Nisha. I mean, look at what happened in that classroom by just by you saying, hey, yes. And, you know, uh, Travis, who's my business partner, he tells me a lot of times that he had something happen. It's another story for another time. But he realized in life that if someone brought him an experience, he was going to do everything he could not to turn it down. His friends can come out of somewhere out of nowhere and say, hey, man, um, you want to go with me real quick on this trip or something like that? Because I need I mean, he's like, I try not to say no to those things, even though he has three kids and stuff. were all reasonable. He, he, he tries not to, he says, because you never know what experience you're possibly going to miss. And I mean, it comes down to the fact that if you weren't at school that day, Nisha, you know, if you would have Correct. been sick that day, it would have com- completely changed things. So now, um, from what I know from reading a little bit about you, you like to fly in the air. Tell us a little bit about your pilot wings and stuff like that. Where did all this stuff come from?
1: Yeah, so uh, the family that brought me to uh, the U.S. is uh, a very influential family in this country, and they uh, only fly private. So uh, when I was growing up, to connect the story, um, my uh, father worked in a retail bank, and his uh, boss uh, was this uh, uh, white gentleman from the U.K., Same name was Sam Moncton, also owned uh, an aircraft. Uh, and on his uh, table in his office, he always would have, you know, this uh, uh, little magazines about uh, airplanes. And part of how I learned how to speak and read uh, English is actually through reading anything related to aviation, because uh, I'd see all these planes come and I'd always be like, hey, like, I really wonder where it's uh, coming from. And I want to be you know, a pilot. That's what I really wanted to be when uh, I was a kid. So when I came to uh, this family in New York, uh, I was immersed in you know the the things that I wanted, which was like a like proximity to uh, aircraft. So uh, whenever we would go somewhere, I wasn't like sitting in the back. I would be in the jump seat in the cockpit because that's really what I wanted to to do. Uh, right. And so, yeah. And so through that, I uh, eventually uh, got some funds to go learn how to be what you call a private pilot, which is you know just the ability for you to fly like a little uh, Cessna. And it became a hobby uh, where every weekend I was like, you know, trying to advance myself because I'd, I'd always wanted to be a pilot. But yeah now I have to pay for it, right? you know, for, uh, myself. And I also have to work. So I'd be going to, uh, school. Right. And I quit going to day school at Fordham to go to night school so I could, you know, work for a uh, plaza construction so I could pay for flight school. Uh, oh, wow. uh right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, so yeah, so it was just so that I could have, uh, what, what I wanted. So, uh, I kept going, and then I met a guy, his name is uh, Dr. Bob Corona, and he's a vet in uh, Long Island. And he has a hobby of uh, buying Steinway pianos. And so at the plane I was learning how to fly was actually owned by him. So he, he buys all these planes, restores them, and rents them out to flight schools. And. Uh, I'm pushing the plane back and he's like, uh, do you know how to fly that thing? And I'm like, yes. You know, Uh, (laughs) In my head, I'm like, barely. (laughs) (laughs) So I flew him to Montauk and, you know, it's the story of the opportunities. They were saying Mm -hmm. no to to an opportunity. So it turns out this guy uh, buys Steinway pianos and he uh, looks up his state sales and he was like, would you uh, fly me to places so i can go check uh this pianos out so that's how i got most of my experience and wow. I we were like yeah we want to go further it's like oh yeah like uh i'll get you you know your multi-engine rating wrote me a check uh went out to florida uh for like 10 days came back with it and boom next thing you know i'm flying one of his uh planes around uh, Wow! but it's Right. And by the time the opportunity came for uh, me to move to Santa Barbara to go work uh, at Procore, uh, that was the challenging part of like, hey, like I have enough time to go work for an airline. But the way you start off as a uh, airline pilot in the U.S. is you go work for what's called a regional carrier. So these are smaller jets uh, that are painted in like, you know, United, Delta, uh, you name it. Right. Uh, so they operate on behalf of uh, those carriers. The the pay, to be honest, like isn't uh, that great. Like uh, you start off uh, like I don't want to like be on the bad side of the industry, but it's pretty low, which is one of the reasons why I I exited the industry. But right. I stuck with my career, you know, at uh, Procore and then learned how to become a flight instructor. And the guy who taught me to be a flight instructor ended up becoming the chief pilot of this other private jet operation. And so he always knew that I wanted to, you know, fly jets. And one day he was like, yeah, like we, we need pilots. I was like, I have a full-time job. So like, no, we'll send you to school. And then you can just fly for us on weekends. So, uh, Monday through Friday, I worked for a software company and, you know, on weekends I'm flying people like Wiz Khalifa uh, Kanye West, Dr. Dre, you name it. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so like, that's how I started, you know, the, uh, role of flying, uh, private jets. And I did that up till, you know, the day I started working at Billy full-time, which was, uh, April 1st, uh, 2021.
0: Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Wow. And that's not a joke. April 1st of 2021. And then now you are the, am I correct? You're the CEO of it, right? Correct. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit about that. So what a great and adventurous experience life. I mean, born on the other, in the other hemisphere, you know, I mean, meeting people through, through through school and through pen pals and you know and just putting your best foot forward and sometimes just being in the right spot at the right time, um, you know I can only imagine you being a little kid and 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 I don't know what what Zimbabwe I don't know what that's you know what it's like around there but I but I I think that like you picturing these planes and I mean is it is it, it back in you, in your country when you were little and you're you're seeing I mean what what's I'm trying to put it together. What's the likelihood that you would be able to be a pilot in, in your country or do the things that you have done since you've been here? Is that very likely or is it not very likely?
1: Uh, I guess uh, the best way to answer it is that uh, it, it is possible, you know, um, yeah, if you have like the resources and back home in Zimbabwe. So in this case, gotcha. I was really lucky that I came to this country to learn okay. how to fly and you know, uh, the United States still remains the cheapest place, in my opinion, to learn how to fly. And many countries, uh, you know, ship their pilots to learn how to fly here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's why places like uh, Florida and Arizona have, you know, the largest flight schools in the world.
0: Right. Yeah, we have a flight school. My little town that I'm from. Um, well, I'm not from. I was born and raised in. But uh, ten thousand. Uh, we have about ten thousand people, and we have this flight school that. A lot of Asian countries send all these Asian students to to learn to fly. And it's just it's really, really crazy um, that you see that in just our little bitty town. But we have a little bitty airport and that's where they sit out there and they learn. So um, that's cool. That's cool. So you went to, uh, I believe, Fordham University. and, And when you did that, that's where you got into computer science. So to what gave you the skills that you have at Billy. Tell me about that going forward now.
1: Yeah, so I actually started uh, accounting. <laughs> uh, okay. Nothing to do with uh, computer science.
0: Uh, okay.
1: So when I also lived with this uh, family, like I didn't live on campus, uh, and the other thing was that you know I finished high school two years ahead of my class. So what that meant was that you know the kids in my class at Fordham are way older than me, right? They. They can uh, get a fake ID, for example, and get into a bar. But if I tried it, they would just be like, "Yo, hey, dude, like, who are you uh, fooling? Like, you don't really look that that old. So I spent a lot of time on, you know, computers trying to learn things like, you know, Ruby and Rails, uh, right? Like uh, trying to figure it out myself. I wouldn't say that like, I'm a really good engineer. I think that I just understand the, the basics. And so it just became, this passion when i was working you know at uh, plaza construction and other organizations that i worked at you know to try and solve things using technology so it wasn't technology that i would create mostly just using other people's technologies and trying to implement that process so construction companies tend to use you know things that have really worked well for them and at that time it was just and buggy uh, type of thing. So case in point, I worked as a, what you call a project accountant. And, you know, if you're doing accounting for a project as large as, let's say like the Yankee Stadium, right? Mm-hmm. There are probably are 500 different little companies that are working on there. And each day, no joke, like you're probably processing three, 400 invoices and you're opening the envelope, manually keying things in to the point where even your thumbs hurt at the end of the, the day. And so my passion was really around, you know how do we make that simple uh, down to the thing of like, hey, like why do I have to stuff envelopes of checks? Like, why can't we just pay them uh, electronically? So moving to Procore, my role was a product manager, which was conveying the customer's problems and converting those into solutions with uh, technology.
0: Gotcha. What really
1: worked was just mostly, I would say, the culture flywheel, which we've carried over to Billy. Where people, you know, didn't purchase the software because of what it did; they purchased Procore because of the people, uh, right? And the people helped uh, solve problems, which drove business uh, as well. So that was kind of like my role into uh, technology. I, I didn't participate in actually writing the the code at uh, Procore.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So that's how you got into it. All right. Fantastic. And then, and then, so, so then how did Billy come about and explain to me what Billy is and give me that full lowdown. Cause uh, you've got a lot of passion behind this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I guess like I'll start off with the story. Uh, so I, uh, I am really passionate about payments. And when I was uh, at Procore, I wanted to build, you know, way to digitize uh, payments and the dream was to build something called Pay because construction payments are just like uh, still managed with, uh, you know, paper checks. And so, yeah. yeah, and so uh, um, I saw, so, you know, through a, a friend of mine who now, you know, works for us that, uh, you know, you could start your own company uh, in what we call an app marketplace. So integrate with Procore, and then you could actually make a living uh, doing that. So I frankly thought like, yeah, like if I left uh, Procore, I'm going to go and you know build a payment processor and roll it out to the uh, construction industry. So I called up my friend, uh, Grant, uh, and uh, we were like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go uh, build, uh, you know, a thing that processes payments. So our our first name was actually called Billy Pay because we wanted to solve the invoicing and payments problem for the construction industry. It wasn't until I was uh, setting up some things in Stripe for our business that I realized that, hey, wait, this already exists. And theoretically a person who works in a construction company who understands this can build exactly what we're looking for. So even if we knock it out of the park, this most likely wouldn't be in a profitable business. Like we'd probably be selling this for ten dollars a month because something like this uh, uh, exists. So mm-hmm. the thing that we learned from that was well, around payments, there's also compliance. And the thing that intersects with all companies is insurance. Right. And so uh mm-hmm. the story of insurance came about because uh my co-founder grant uh you know used to run a construction company. And on one of his job sites, there was an accident. And then he thought that he had, you know, the correct insurance certificates. And then uh, when he uh, went into his uh, accounting office, he realized that actually they, they didn't have, you know, the correct insurance certificates, they were just storing them in a folder. So he ended up, you know, paying dearly through uh, lawsuits. Um, and we uh... decided that, hey, let's build something to help contractors. You know, so our vision here, at Billy, is really, you know, we envision a world where contractors focus on doing their best work, you know, with zero worry about uh, insurance. And we try to do this by aggregating, you know, their insurance information in one place. So they don't have to keep sending, you know, tons of emails out. Uh, we aggregate this information so that agents too can see what those requirements are for their insurance. And so that's what we are focused on today. And the product is used by mostly uh, general contractors and home builders because uh, that's really our brand promise, which is we're just focused on uh, construction.
0: So you've got a little bit of that and you and you had some history with working with con- uh, with construction. So that gave you a lot of kind of inside knowledge as to what the, the some of the pain points they were going through, right? Correct. Yeah, like you said. Uh, I used to do the her. job
1: myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to do the job myself. Uh, But also, you know, uh, part of it too, is just that a lot of the uh, contractors don't also understand the insurance that they they have too. So, you know, part of our role here at Billy is, you know, educating contractors about, you know, the, the insurance they have and, you know, what it means to have a workers comp exemption, for example, or, now, what it means to have an excluded officer and tying that to things like safety, right? So when that excluded officer shows up on the job site, you don't want to have a claim. You know, you want to make sure that your site team is aware of like, hey, they're, they're coming on site, uh, but they need to provide us with that new policy that shows that they're not an excluded officer to you know, come on the job site. So things like that reduce wow. incidents, which help your EMR and, you know, uh, puts money back into your pocket, so uh, I like to think of uh, Billy as just like a tool that removes those uh, insurance headaches for you know not only like the general contractors or the home builders, but even the smaller contractors that are working on that jump site as well.
0: Now, Nisha, why would they ask you that question and not call their insurance agent to know that question? And my and my follow up to that is is how are you finding this information out, whether that excluded or not excluded?
1: Yeah. Uh, we use your own data. So if you uh, if you let's say are a big uh, construction company, let's call it like mm-hmm. Turner Construction. Okay. Uh, each project that you do is custom. So insurance requirements flow from either the lender uh, or you're going to use like your your owner's uh, requirements, which you usually work with you know same owners over and over. Mm-hmm. And each contract that you sign with your subcontractors, if you think about like a Yankee stadium, right? Like five, 600 contracts that you're signing with different suppliers, different subcontractors. And those people need to give you, you know, a document that proves that they've got those uh, requirements.
0: Certificate of you, insurance, right?
1: Right. And so if you picture uh, myself at, uh, you know, Plaza Construction trying to to do this, uh, Right, I have to send out six hundred emails, uh, right, <laughs> to to just uh, get those uh, requirements. And and you know some of those people might have exemptions, uh, mm-hmm. right? They'll submit different types of uh, documents. So what we just do is we take that you know page of requirements, we make it simpler for people to understand. And those people are you know the insured and the agent because uh, the insured. It's just getting, you know, a note that like, Hey, like I, I need this type of insurance, but Billy also loops in the agent to be like, Hey, like your, your insurance is required to have, uh, okay. this policy. So there's no more like, Hey, like, uh, uh, dear agent, like I need this, uh, requirement to play broken telephone where the the customer now gets the wrong certificate and it creates this weird
0: yes. flywheel.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. So we just aggregate things in in one place. Then we use artificial intelligence to essentially uh, read the documents and then uh, take information that's on the document and action it with uh, other workflows. So we're big on safety, right? So connecting your insurance with safety. Uh, The only way you would know who's an excluded officer, it's on your insurance documents. So Mm -hmm. we're uh, exposing that and just enabling them to have better workflows. Uh, that help them with their insurance.
0: So you have AI that's even helping you, which I think is going to become a bigger factor. So then it's it knows the information that you kind of wanted to look for. It pulls that out. And I love how you say that you're also, it's just not so much, hey, giving it to the client. It's, it's helping loop in the agent to say, hey, here are some of the requirements that this job or this contract is requiring that they may or may not have. And I think why that's kind of nice is that even in a small town like mine, we get, you know, not even a big job. Let's say it's a one, two, three million dollar job. Um, they the we get on our certificates of insurance or in the contract, it'll say, like, we want to use um they need to have coverage per form zero zero two four, you know, whatever. And and as right. insurance agents, we hate that because all of our companies are all using different ones. And Nisha, you won't believe how many times we call the underwriters and we'll be like, Hey, I need this form, and they'll be like, I don't know if we have that, and it's like you're you're a large insurance company, you know. So so what you're doing is is you're even taking away a little bit of the headache on the agent side as well, um, and bringing that together. That that's interesting. I like that, Nisha.
1: Yeah, it's uh, just our attempt to uh, change an in industry because traditionally, uh, you know, construction insurance has been a drag for you know, contractors, especially the small ones, because Mm -hmm. they want to, you know, perfect their work, right? Uh, And insurance is a means to get that work, right? So if you don't have the right documents, you're not going to work with the right contractors, which means your business is not going to grow. So the tool really just uh, facilitates also just like uh, that communication with the contractors removes uh, friction as Mm -hmm. well. And we're just trying to uh, help out, folks in in that space. So they have more time to do what they do best.
0: Nisha, how did you meet Grant?
1: Yeah. So uh, I met uh, Grant because he was complaining about something I built at Procore. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) he calls me up, Is like, we're taking it in the shorts here. What the hell did you guys build then? Uh, And so I decided to take my uh, team. We took two cars and drove to this town called San Luis Obispo. And the idea was that we would uh, go see this old cranky man, uh, Grant Robbins, and uh, his office because he was like, "I'm going to take some time off and show you what happens in the or- office." And I'm like, "All right, cool." So we all we all got there, and then he was just like this really fun character who like think of like a really cool dad who'd go skateboarding uh, with you, build like a ramp with you, and and yeah. by the way, like that's actually him and his sons. Like he. He has like a a half pipe in his uh, backyard. Wow. So, so yeah, so uh, we became uh, really good friends and I would basically, my approach in building software is go and immerse yourself in the problem first, you know, try out what they're actually doing and experience the pain. Because when you do experience the pain, then for software engineers, uh, they know, you know, what to do to build you know the solution to that problem uh, mm-hmm. instead of somebody just saying like hey like I need software that does XYz I think better software is built when people go and immerse themselves in the problem and then go back and try to build the software right and so that's what we did with uh, grant and built that uh, partnership and that's how we started the yeah working together as well.
0: Fantastic. Because I see Grant is just another st- a stepping stone, right? He was another big piece because for him to have that bad experience, right? And have all those lawsuits, then for you to be a project manager, understanding construction, putting in the work to where your thumbs hurt, and being able to relate to Grant, right? And being a wow to then being able to bring that together for something like Billy. Um, is is really really incredible it really really truly is incredible you know seeing how these things have lined up when it goes back to the question of uh of um, luck or skill, I definitely can see like yours is very like in my opinion very very visible to where you can see that you said in that you said well, I believe in perfecting my craft right but you do yeah. believe in luck and so to say where you're at today is by nowhere saying you're lucky I mean, you had to take the step. You had to take the chance. You had to invest the time, want to learn more, you know, uh, create your craft, you know, as you were saying, um, incredible story, man. Nisha, how old are you?
1: I'm 34 now.
0: 34. Okay. I was thinking mid thirties. That's where I was. That's where I was. That's where I was. I'm 43. So I was just kind of, I'm just very curious and just, uh, Fantastic, man! I, I really do. Closing it up. So, where are you going with this? What are you doing? I mean, what? I mean, just going to keep expanding on this, or until you find the next thing? I mean, what's your thoughts, Nisha?
1: Yeah. So, on this one, I guess some of the inspiration comes from Billy Vanjura. You know, uh, so you know, uh, insure tech is kind of like a, a way of thinking. It's how I I I, I see it, and I gl- I agree with Billy as well, no pun intended on the billy per se. And so what we're trying to do is basically, you know, create a place where we align the interests of uh, insurance carriers and their insurance. And what I see from my perspective, and uh, when I explain it to people, people laugh, you know, uh, but this is one of those opportunities where I'm like, you know, laugh now, but uh, I, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one. So w- what I hear from the uh, carriers is, is that we want to do right by our insurance, but we don't have the data, you know, to basically like, you know, provide risk reduction rebates, because we can't see things like, how safe are you? Or, you know, what's your actual like, uh, payroll and stuff like that. So we just want to facilitate like, hey, like, uh, this is, uh, you know, a small contractor, they are working with this large contractors who have a really good safety uh, record. These large contractors haven't reported anything you know, about this person. So we can start to at least like help you request those uh, loss runs, and, you know, automate things like uh, EMRs and then, you know, help the insurance companies figure out like, you know, we want this uh, person and we can lower their premiums because they're using a tool like uh, Billy and we have the data to see that they're a safe contractor so that's what we're really trying to do which is just remove those insurance headaches so the contractors can just focus on what they do best and make insurance work for them uh, instead
0: you know and it seems like i think a lot of times Nisha, i think a lot of agents are going to take it personal i really do because they're not going to think about and, and really listen to what you're saying And, 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 you know, the, I think the carriers want to do what's right by, by, by the contractor. And I believe the insurance agent also does, but we also like the carrier lack the same thing that I believe Billy instills in the process. And it's the data and the technology to know that stuff, right? It's, I mean, I have a contract. The, the, the contractor gives me a contract and he says, here's what it is. And I mean, if everything's not spelled out in there, which really the insurance requirements are usually just one page, four or five items, um there could be a lot of other things. And then also, we also don't have the data and the expertise of what's happening at job sites, like it sounds like Billy does, to be able to, to give that best information. So here we have the carriers, here we have the agents trying to do their best and for loyal listeners, if you're listening, um, Nisha's not saying that he's trying to take our spots or replace us. He's trying to say he wants to remove the insurance headaches. And as we know, as insurance agents, there's definitely headaches, even on our side that we can't do anything about. Sounds like the carrier as well. And Nisha, that's why you created Billy to say, hey, let let, let us help facilitate this through tech with technology and to create those solutions. Is that right?
1: Correct and and part of it too is just coming from the world of a contractor, right? And I have a friend uh, uh, here in uh, Brooklyn. Is uh, he's a builder. His name is uh, Jay Toll, and he does uh, brownstone renovations. And one of the days, like I was in his office, and he's like complaining to his uh, agent about why do I have uh, height restriction, you know, on my uh, insurance policy. And so my ears kind of perked on that because I was like he's mostly uh, like doing like uh, really small buildings, but it sounds as if he's being charged uh, like he's working in like in a 30 story right. film, per se. And so he was like, uh, like how do I show the agent that uh, you know, the the building is not as high. And I'm like, do you have a drawing, you know, like that we, we can show. And that helped the situation. And that was where like part of my light bulbs were coming in to be like, if you know, insurance carriers and agents had that data in some really easily digestible way of like, hey, like this is uh you know uh Billy the contractor, this is the type of work that they do. Here's their safety information. Can you guys take that information and help them out so they you know have better coverage you know for their needs. Maybe they're you know uh a tennis court, uh, painter, like, uh, why should they pay insurance for the entire year when their business really is just, you know, from May through September. And there's the time they're in Florida, like, uh, working for another contractor and their actual business is dormant. So we're just trying to surface those things that are siloed in many different, uh, you know, softwares and many different pieces of paper so that, you know, this friction for insurance is, uh, removed and contractors can get better at uh, what they do.
0: Nisha, I appreciate your time, man. Leaders are readers and readers are leaders and you are a leader, so you must be a reader. What are you reading or what have you re- recently read, Naisha?
1: Yeah, so uh, I've read a couple books. These days I'm into African literature, just going back to my roots. There's a book called When Things Fall Apart by a guy called Chinua Achebe. He's passed on. As well. And then there are instances sometimes where I just really want to learn more about uh, world history. I tend to be uh, inert about it and just try to read memoirs and uh, biographies of uh, uh, people. So the last uh, biography that I read was about uh, Tony Blair, the guy who was uh, the prime minister of the UK. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so it was mostly interesting to like learn the history of. You know, the UK from his perspective. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, fantastic, man. I really do appreciate you coming on. I really, truly do. This has been a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as well, man.
1: I absolutely did. And thank you for having me.
0: Loyal listeners, one of the things I want to say, I normally don't say too much before, but I think that there's something that has to be said here. I believe that during this course of this conversation especially the first 20 to 30 minutes you may have felt inspired you know you may have felt inspiration coming into you um and and I there's no doubt because I was as well and I think what's inspiring about Naisha's story is is we can visually see it right number 1 Naisha did a fantastic job of 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 saying how he went from this transition of this period to this period but even though you weren't born in Africa and most of us have never been, and some of us will never go, you can picture his lifestyle. You can picture him being in school and meeting and having that opportunity um, to pin pal, then the opportunity to come to America. Ironically enough, he gets into, you know, construction as a senior project or as a project manager. You know, he runs through all these different things and meets all these people, whether it could be for Grant and and you can kind of see that how everything has led up to it's almost like listening to Billy's story is like well duh yeah that's what was going to happen to him right because look at all that stuff and and whether that's wrong or right is not my my point to your loyal listeners what i want you to realize is your life is inspiring it's easy to look at you. it's easy to look at it's easy to look at Naisha's life though and say His life is inspiring, but I want you to know, loyal listeners, that your life is inspiring. It's easy to look at his life because it started in another country and because it was so something most of us haven't experienced. As we listen to him tell the story, we get to create it in our own mind and it inspires us. But really, you've all created a great life. You may have been born in the same place that you now have your office. You may have um, been across America from each other. You may have been from another country as well. But I think sometimes we stop to lose the inspiration we have in our own life. Our life is just exciting sometimes as Naisha's. As, uh, it is. It's just as exciting. But I think we get into the mental grind and you have to remember, do you hear his energy? Do you hear his enthusiasm? And I think it's where that inspiration comes. And I think we all have that. And I think it's important to remember that you, we may not look at our life as a series of steps like we do his. Maybe you should. Maybe we should, loyal listeners, and I think that that is uh, something I'm going to take away from this. Nysha, uh Gutso, thank you very much for joining us. It has been fantastic having you. Um, we try to keep these things a little shorter than this, but yours was well-deserved to go way beyond. So thank you very much. Um, and keep flying out there, man. Uh, this will be the not the last time that you and I speak. I promise you that. All you loyal listeners out there, thank you very much. You know what I do because I do it for you. Tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This is Jason Cass. He's Nysha. We're out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes so you give me an auto quote i can do five to ten carriers in three to seven minutes how are we doing it we're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence give us a call check us out you can ask for me personally i'll do the demo for you who are they cast certified